Our responsive psalm this morning is Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish, and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and the one who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The word of the Lord. Let's now stand as Darcy reads the gospel. The Lord be with you, and also with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we long for your sons appearing again to rule over all the world as king. Until then, may we show up our lives the kind of king he is, to whom we submit and worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're, uh, we're looking at another psalm today, Psalm 72. It was composed by David as a song of prayer for his son Solomon. Not only was it a father's prayer for his own child, but it was also a king's prayer for his own successor. Solomon would become the first heir to the throne in Jerusalem. Thereafter, the psalm of David would be used in the coronation liturgy of the Judean kings throughout the Davidic dynasty. So in a nutshell, Psalm 72 was a prayer of David that later became the people's common prayer for their ruling monarch that God would bless the king as he ascends the throne and is crowned with authority. Now, if there's a contemporary equivalent to this psalm, it would be the British national anthem, God Save the Queen. With that, I invite us to turn to Psalm 72 in your Bibles or apps, if you have them with you, or you can grab a pew Bible in front of you. Psalm 72. Now, the psalm prays five kinds of prayers for the king, and it ends with the doxology to God. The first prayer is for the king to be endowed with righteousness. The second is for him to have endless rule. Third, an expansive rule. Fourth, for social justice. And fifth, prosperity. So again, the prayers are for endowed righteousness, endless rule, expansive rule, social justice, and prosperity. So first, endowed righteousness in verse 1. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. See, the very first thing that David prays for, for himself as king and for Solomon as the royal son, is that God would give both of them justice and righteousness. The fact that David prays for these means that they are not natural to himself. They're not inherent to royalty, let alone to humanity. The Jewish notion of justice and righteousness is that they are supernatural. They're not local to earth, but they're imported from heaven, so to speak. See, in Psalm 97, it, it says that the foundations of God's throne in heaven are justice and righteousness. See, people are to be just and righteous in their life. It's because they were given to them by God. Now, in the ancient world, the general perspective on kings and emperors that they embodied the gods on earth. They were worshipped as such. 
but the Jewish monarchy was unique in that the Israelite kings were seen as merely the human representatives of the one God, that is, the true king and emperor of the world. The Jewish kings were never worshipped as gods, but were consecrated for the stewardship of divine justice and righteousness on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the king was ancient Israel's supreme court, wherein he was responsible to uphold the Torah. The king was to study and memorize all the laws. He would then grant audience to anyone for their final appeal, take his seat on the throne as chief justice, not so that he can lord it over his subjects, but to be like Yahweh, whose throne is justice and righteousness. The king was the human image on earth of God sitting on his throne in heaven, that justice and righteousness would flow from the foot of king's throne in Jerusalem and then throughout the earth. Now, Derek Kidner, Old Testament scholar and commentator, wrote that justice and righteousness are the first virtues of government, even above compassion, mercy, social justice, peace. It's because justice and righteousness together, they make up the soil and the climate in which compassion, mercy, social justice, and peace would bud and blossom in society. This is what we read from David as he continued to pray in verses 3 to 4. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor, deliver the needy, crush the oppressor. See, David prayed first and foremost for justice and righteousness for his government and its future. For once these two things are established, prosperity Compassion will follow afterwards. Now, even though we don't live under a monarchy, we as Christians today should pray the same for our own elected leaders. That they would first and foremost be leaders and champions of justice and righteousness. So that true prosperity and true compassion may follow. Not false prosperity that is gained unjustly or false compassion that is superficial and tokenized give the king your justice and endow him with righteousness now the second prayer is for the king to have endless rule to have endless rule in verse 5 may they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon now obviously no human king would live so long for one thing it's a prayer for the throne of jerusalem and what it represents, beyond, of course, any of its human occupants, that it would endure for as long as the sun and the moon. It, it's a prayer for the, the Davidic dynasty and its ideals to persevere. But the other thing about this prayer is that it has taken on literal and prophetic meaning through the centuries. See, the unusual history of Psalm 72 is that while it was it was originally used for the coronation liturgy during the time of the Jewish kings. It was later adopted into the Hebrew Psalter. It's a song of exile. And for even after the Jewish people returned to the land, after exile with no Davidic descendant to lead and govern them again in the land. Now at that point, it did not make sense to pray for a Davidic king to rule forever. 
There was no king. But it, it did make sense to pray for it in the midst of an emerging prophetic hope among the ancient Jews as they longed for a Messiah king who would finally ascend David's throne. So Psalm 72 took on this new meaning, this new vision. Prayers took on tones of messianic hopefulness for the future. That's what we read in verses 6 to 7, that once the Messiah is enthroned, he would be like rain showers upon the fields, and righteousness and peace would sprout out of the ground. See, this is another picture of paradise restored, the land of Eden regained, but the Messiah King would have endless rule on the throne of David. In his days, may the righteous flourish, and peace abound, till the moon be no more. Endless rule. Now the third prayer is for the king to have expansive rule. Expansive rule. In verse 8. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. See, the national motto of Canada was taken directly from this verse in Latin. Mari usque ad mare, from sea to sea. Now specifically, this verse refers to the territory between the Mediterranean and the Red Sea, the Euphrates to the north and then down to the Arabian Desert. The verse is actually a paraphrase of what God himself uh, verbally promised to Israel in Exodus. This is what he said. I will set your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. See, for the longest time, this marked the ancient territory of Israel, which didn't get any bigger than during the reign of Solomon, which was the biggest at its time. Now, besides a few greedy kings, the kingdom of Israel was not generally expansionist or colonial. So then the prayer goes on in verses 9 to 11. May the king's enemies submit to him. May tribute from Spain and Arabia be sent to him. And may all the kings and nations bow and serve him. See, the prayer looks forward to the king's universal influence and peace over all the world. Now this prayer seemed to immediately be fulfilled by King Solomon when he finally subdued rebellion from within and established Israel's so-called golden age of unparalleled prosperity and peace. See, the Queen of Sheba visited Jerusalem from, with her royal entourage bearing immense tribute. Lucrative commercial and building contracts were made with the King of Tyre. And many nations and empires pledged allegiance by way of marriage alliances. Solomon established Israel as this world power and gained international fame and respect. The prayer seemed to have been answered. But if you know enough of your Bible, it was short-lived. See, it lasted for as long as Solomon ruled as king. Part of the reason also was that Solomon did not live up to now this fourth prayer, the prayer for the king to uphold social justice in his domain. In verse 12, for the king delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and the one who has no helper. Again, since the Jewish king was to imitate Yahweh, who is himself 
given the title of the father of the fatherless and the judge of the widows, the king himself was to be the leader, the lead defender and protector of the marginalized. Specifically in verse 14, the king is said to be responsible to redeem, that is to rescue, the oppressed and those who are suffering violence. Now the word redeem here has Jewish familial connotations. As only blood relatives have the right and the privilege to legally redeem or rescue their own relative who is in debt or in slavery. This meant that the king was to regard all people within his domain as his own family. See, the blood of the marginalized and the oppressed are for the king precious, like the blood of his own children. But Solomon did not treat his own people like they were family. He oversaw the increase of injustice in his kingdom. His policies were oppressive. He conscripted a massive slave labor force, mostly made of non-Jews from across Israel. He imposed heavy taxes on the people to fund his administration and building projects. He enlarged his military with chariots and horses from Egypt. And on top of that, Solomon worshipped the gods of his many wives to maintain his political alliances. He failed to be a king of social justice, let alone a king who paid singular devotion to Yahweh. In absolute contrast to this is Jesus, who was himself God's social justice in the flesh. He treated everyone, especially those discarded by society, as his own family, like they were his own flesh and blood. In the end, Jesus redeemed and rescued the human race with his own precious blood. In Jesus is this prayer fulfilled that the king would indeed uphold social justice. Now, finally, the fifth prayer for prosperity. Now, in verse 15, David prays for the economy, for an abundance of, of in global trade and local production. But then he doesn't just pray for the economy. In the last half of verse 16, he prays for the kingdom to be filled with inhabitants and Citizens, a boom in population and immigration. And then lastly, in verse 17, David prays for the reputation and benediction of the king, in that every person under the king's benevolence would be blessed. So ends the visionary prayer of David over his son and over the throne. But as I've mentioned, the prosperity that Solomon brought into Israel was all a sham. It was established out of injustice and oppression. When Solomon died, his son Rehoboam ruled after him, and he and then imposed a more repressive tax policy upon the people. And then Israel, in the end, erupted in civil war and split into two. The ten tribes to the north, then Judah and Benjamin to the south. And for almost 500 years, Intrigue, assassinations, warfare, rage within and between the North and South kingdoms until both were destroyed and exiled into Babylon. The throne of David was uprooted 
The tree of Jesse was left a stump. The Davidic dynasty was no more. Or so it appeared. Now after 600 years came forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a, a branch of David starting to bud from his roots. The Magi from the east saw this king's natal star and perceived that the king of Israel was born. They inquired first in the royal city where they would naturally expect this heir to be born. But the star had led them to Bethlehem, to the place where Jesus was. Then Christian tradition has it that the Magi were deemed as kings in fulfillment of Psalm 72 and Isaiah 60. That foretold of kings coming to bow and worship the Messiah King, bringing with them tributes of gold and frankincense. See, in Jesus Christ are all the prayers of David in Psalm 72 fulfilled and are yet to be fulfilled. See, in Jesus, one greater, wiser, and more righteous than Solomon had come to rule over not just Israel, but the whole world. Jesus is the true royal son and the true heir to David's throne. He is God's justice and righteousness endowed in David's royal flesh. He now rules over an endless and expansive kingdom that is still expanding throughout our world by way of social justice, of forgiveness, and of repentance. And Jesus will bring with him the benediction and prosperity of heaven into our planet when he will appear again. Now, as much as Psalm 72 was David's prayer, and then becoming the Jewish people's prayer, it now becomes our own for the perfect manifestation of Messiah King's Jesus reign over all the world. And not only should we pray this psalm, Psalm 72 becomes a template, comes uh, a, a kind of aspirations for, for our own Christian living towards who we can become as citizens and subjects of Jesus' kingdom. See, the goal and glory of God's kingdom is that everyone in his domain takes after the likeness of their own king. We become like the king. Psalm 72 inspires us to live like our king, to live justly and righteously as citizens in the city, in Toronto, to live out our lives with an eternal perspective, wherein nothing we do in our life today is ever lost or wasted or forgotten. Everything is accounted for. God will reward everyone who does works of faith, who does works in the name of Christ, and he cannot be mocked. We will reap what we sow in life. Psalm 72 inspires us to keep expanding Jesus' rule wherever we are. Christianity today is a global and transcultural force of transformative power. And the church all over the world is doing creative, cultural, and constructive work to make real and true the new creation for our time as we together hope for its future manifestation. Psalm 72 inspires us to do social justice and promote the peace 
and prosperity of every human enterprise and economy. And we do so truthfully, conscientiously, sustainably and generously in the name of Jesus, however and whatever we are empowered to do. Let us all then be subject to Jesus, our Messiah King, who rules over us with infinite justice and infinite grace. Let us with our lives show forth to the world that what kind of king we submit to, what kind of kingdom we are a citizen of, what kind of justice we are upholding, what kind of future we are longing and hoping for, and are even now participating in. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.